if you're new to us or visitors or you just have a bad memory, um, we've been in the middle of a sermon series looking at how do you pay attention to God, really? I mean, it's such a sort of obvious thing to say, isn't it? Here we are, most of us Christians and sort of like all of us wanting to say there must be more than this in life, wanting to take God seriously. And in the book that we read and that speaks into our lives, we come across this God who takes us seriously enough to communicate with us. And it's a long way away from just the idea that there's a God who hears your prayers. That would be good. But the Bible makes a remarkable claim But it's not just that one way, but God actually communicates with us. Now, most of us feel very ordinary. And in these sort of, when we start talking like this, we, most of us go, well, that's true in theory. And it's true for some people, but it's probably not true for me. (laughs) That's actually how it works for most of us. But what, what we want to do with this series is to, as a whole congregation, to keep on reminding one another that of two things. God, one, God has no favorites. God has no favorites. He just has children. And he doesn't have preferences for some. And secondly, for those of us who go... I'm in on this salvation story. He goes, I'll speak to you. And he knows what you're like. And he knows how you tick. And he knows how you respond to things. And so he chooses to speak in a myriad of ways, but he'll do it in a way that makes sense for you. And so we spent some time looking at how God speaks in creation and And we talked about this idea of consider, consider what you see. Just take note of what you see. And can you hear the echoes of what God might be saying to you? And I don't know whether that helps you or whether you've done it or become more alert to it. I hope so. Last week, Julian spoke about essentially taking more notice of the Bible. We did that exercise at the end where we got, okay, so let's actually just spend a little time. We'll read this. How might God be speaking to you? And today... Well, I want to do move us on really into the, the moments where God does really strange things that you can't, you can't predict. You see, with creation, it's kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to be alert. I want to be alert. With the Bible, it's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to sit down and read this. But actually with the strange stuff, it's just, are you the sort of person that God could do this with? There's almost like a posture. And so what we'll do is I'm going to invite Glyn to come and read from Acts chapter 11. Now, just before he does, let me explain what's going on in that chapter. So we're in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which is about the story of the early church and what they're doing because God's gripped them. And um, when Luke writes that book, there are 28 chapters 
And he takes one and a half chapters, and they're long chapters, to tell the story of a meeting between a Roman centurion called Cornelius and Peter, the follower disciple of Jesus. Now, in a sense, when you come across this sort of stuff in the Bible, one of the things you want to ask is, well, why is he taking so long to tell me this story? It's a good story, but why is he emphasizing it so much? And it's because it's so, in one sense, dramatic, but actually because it's so important. So what Luke does is in chapter 10, he tells the story as though it were, it were happening in front of your eyes. And then in chapter 11, he tells how Peter goes and explains what's happened to the other disciples. And we're going to, so rather than taking the long chapter, which would be worth looking at another time, we're just going to look at half of chapter 11. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, let me give you a microphone. Reading from, reading from chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up into heaven again. Right then, three men who'd been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God. Brilliant, thank you. So let me uh, make sure you understand what was going on. Some of you know the story really, really well, and some of you might not be so familiar with it. So this is a story about two men who were about 60 kilometers apart from one another 
on a particular day. There's Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, up in Caesarea, the top of the picture. And Peter is 60 kilometers away at the bottom of the picture of the map. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a man of war. He's a man of the empire. He's a master, an owner of slaves. He's a ruler, a leader of men. He's self-sufficient. He's strong. And to many people, he is the one in charge of everything. But he's also an interesting character because although he's got all these privileges of position, he also is intrigued by the Jews. Now, when you're reading the Bible, it's easy to think that Israel and the Jews were at the heart of the whole world. They weren't. To everybody else, it was like this little group of primitive people in the back end of the empire that no one wanted to go to. They were looked down on. They were not significant. They were, it was like anti-Semitism began in the Roman Empire. The last group of people you'd want to be involved with. But Cornelius is intrigued. He's intrigued enough that actually he almost is knocking on the door of Israel to say, can I come in? Can I come into what you've got? Now, the thing about Jews is that the Romans called them atheists. Because the Jews refused to worship all these other gods. And the Romans would look down at you atheist people. Irony. But Cornelius is like, maybe I'm just tired of all these stories. I'm tired of all these gods. I'm longing for more. And he prays. And um, he's generous. That's Cornelius. So he's kind of like, if you just looked at Cornelius, you'd never guess. But if you know him, there's a whole stack of things going on in his heart. Which is actually not a bad thing to remember whenever you see anybody. What you see surface is never the full story. There's always another story happening internal. Don't be too quick to write people off because of what you see. Because God's doing another story that you can't see. And then there's Peter. Well, we know much more about Peter, don't we? Peter's this... A disciple, he'd been a fisherman, he'd been a follower of Jesus, he's a preacher. He has no status, absolutely no status. But what Peter is certain about is that God wants to do something for Israel and he has no truck with Roman centurions. You see, Roman centurions put his master on a cross. Roman centurions were the ones who would threaten this early church. Roman centurions were to be avoided at all costs. Here are two men, 60 kilometers apart and a whole world that's different. What's God doing? Well, God's doing something new in both of them. And he's doing something new through them for one another. 
because something's going to change. And one of the things that is going to be changed, and, and Glenn read it, was that what will happen is that the gospel will be seen as good news, not only for Jewish people, but also for Gentiles, the rest of the world. And both parties will change. What happens? Well, Cornelius, Luke tells us in chapter 10, distinctly saw an angel who said, Cornelius, I know you. Distinctly saw an angel. Peter has gone up to the flat roof at lunchtime and presumably can smell the cooking and goes into that sort of sleepiness and he sees a vision, has a trance. He uses the word trance, which is an interesting word. But he has a vision, and the vision is of that sheet that comes down with all the unclean animals. So it's things like, for him, bacon and gammon and prawn cocktail and camel. Stuff that from his childhood, his mum had told him, we don't eat that stuff, Peter. And he heard this voice come to him three times saying, eat it. And Peter's going, we don't. And the voice says, don't call unclean what I call clean. And then at that point, three guys come to the door. And they say, we are here on behalf of Cornelius, a man you do not know who's a centurion, and he wants you to come to his house. Will you come? And Peter now is in a context where everything is being shaken. He's being offered food he knows he shouldn't eat, and now he's being invited to a house of a man that he never would go to in a million years. And he goes. He meets them, and he listens to them, And then as he's telling them about Jesus, they start speaking in tongues. Very odd. And so he goes, well, it seems like God's doing a work with you, so I'll baptize you. Very strange. I don't know how you would make this applicable to yourself. Maybe it would be, I don't know, if you work for a big company, it would be your managing director calling you in to meet them. And while you're talking to them, they start speaking in tongues. And you go, I don't know what's going on right now. (laughs) I don't know how you would make it applicable. But I'm less interested in what's going on there. I'm more interested in what's going on here. Because this is what I think happens. I think we listen to these stories and we go, well, that's brilliant because it's Bible. But it doesn't happen in our pew. It doesn't happen in our house. It doesn't happen in my life. It doesn't happen to people like me. Or we go, wow, I'd love it to happen. Or we go, 
yes, but these people were quite primitive, you know. I'm sure there was some psychological reason for all of this happening, and I'm sure we would explain it differently today. You see, all of us have been brought up to be inherently suspicious. Everything about the way you've been educated, everything about your culture says that our world is closed, that you've got to be sensible. That actually it's only what you can see that matters. That actually scientifically we can explain most things. That if we could just get MRI of, uh, of what's going on in your brain, we could explain what's going on when you have those religious impulses. In other words, we've been given a context where for most of us, for most of our lives we've been told, oh yeah, well, bless you for thinking like that. But actually the world's not, it's closed. But the Bible brings us into a context where it asks us a basic question. If you believe in God, what sort of God do you believe in? Now, I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-all of that. I kind of want to embrace it. But I want to ask, how does that help me understand what I believe about the world, which is the world is more mysterious than you might imagine and God is bigger than you might ever guess and God breaks in now the reason this is important is because what we've got to make sure doesn't happen is that in church we accept certain things but then the moment we leave the doors we go back into the scientific world where it's closed it's either this is a world the world of the bible where God is at work and does remarkably strange things to all of us in many different contexts all of the time but let's have none of this well he does it in church but not there for some Christians it feels like God's very talkative in church but really silent outside how do we make sense of all of this well let me begin here I think that lots of people have moments of transcendence. Do you remember when you first fell in love and the whole world changed? Do you remember a time where you held a newborn baby? And it might have been yours or someone else's, but something leapt inside of you. Have you ever had an experience where it's just been a really ordinary day and you've been traveling to work down the M6, which is like hell will be like the M6. And you've driven down the M6 around junction 17 and there's a bend in the motorway and you're listening to Van Morrison singing Bright Side of the Road. And you turn, the bend happens and you see a field of yellow rape seed. And your heart goes, wow. Now, you may not have had that specific experience, I'll grant you that. But does something like that mean anything to you? What you've experienced is some transcendence. I told you this story a while ago, but I'll repeat it. Before we'd signed for the vine, 
we were looking at another building. Actually, the building that's just opposite the church here. And, um, and then the, the vine, the one we've got, came on the market. And I was walking up our little, um, our little road, our little close. And we live 1.5 miles away from this building. And I was walking up and it was about 11 o'clock on a, on a weekday morning. And I was praying as I was walking up. And I, was, uh, I just heard that um, the council had said we couldn't have that building, which I was really glad about because we were doing deals on two buildings and I didn't want two. And I was a bit frightened that we'd end up with two. So they rang me and said, we're taking it away. And I said, oh, Lord, thank you. I was walking up the road saying, Lord, thank you. And I got to the top of where our road is and where the busy main road is. And on the floor were some letterheads of paper, nothing written on the paper, but just letterheads that had safe. Now, safe used to belong, had that building, the vine building, before we had it. And as I was walking, I I kind of saw these letterheads and and I thought, that's really strange. What's going on? Now, if I tell you, I think, I think it was God just reassuring me. I think, I've no idea where those littering came from. Some of you will now go, bless him. Some of you will go, we need to get out, he's too gullible. But is it possible that God does that sort of stuff? Is it just, I mean, it's just litter, isn't it? But it's litter that's very specific litter, a mile and a half from where I live, on a day that was really significant for me, at a time when I was praying at 11.30 in the morning in a weekday, is, is it just coincidence? And if it is coincidence, who's caused the coincidence? I suppose what I'm asking is, you probably have already experienced some of this, but what sort of people experience this sort of thing? And I just want to bring this into land here. I think, people who were open. It's interesting that both Cornelius and Peter were praying people. Praying is the fundamental discipline of a Christian. The moment we stop praying is the moment we become functional atheists. In other words, you can have a whole stack of beliefs, but the moment you stop praying is the moment actually you operate as an atheist. They're both praying men. And the thing about prayer is not that you are telling God a whole stack of things that he doesn't know about. The thing about prayer is you're bringing yourself into a context where he might actually interact with you. You're slowing yourself down enough to be still before him. None of us feel we do this well enough. None of us feel we're good enough at this All of us feel a little guilty about this. But actually, if you don't keep coming back to it, 
you're missing out on the base of what could happen next. Some of you stop praying when you think you've let God down. It's exactly the wrong time to stop praying. Some of us operate as though we've got to clean our act up before we get to God. Some of you have stopped praying because actually you think God's just disappointed you too often. But actually, if you start praying, as I say, we're living as atheists. There's nothing else. It's just down to me. But actually, the praying people, however well or badly we think we're doing it, the people who slow down enough to go, God, here I am. It's a mess, isn't it? Are the people that God begins to interact with. Praying people. Non-stereotype people. Cornelius, you could never guess. A man of war who's going, there must be more than this. What sort of people does God use and do stuff with? People that actually don't follow the same cultural code as everybody else. People who are not afraid to stand out a little bit different. People who are not afraid to go, I don't care if you think I'm odd. People who are obedient. That when you get that sense of a voice then you do something about it. People who are willing to listen to other people. The first thing Peter did when he met with Cornelius was he listened to them. And people who are willing to be vulnerable. You know this thing about speaking in tongues. The first time you speak in tongues, and let me explain for you if you're not really sure what I mean by speaking in tongues. Essentially speaking in tongues is speaking what sounds like nonsense language before God. And the way the Bible speaks about it is it's something from deep within you that's released that allows you to express stuff that's beyond your ability to articulate. And it's not a gift that's given just to a certain few people. And it's not to show off with. And it's not to say, hey, look. And it's, it's, it's deeply personal, but it's offered to you. But to get it, you've got to be vulnerable. Because let me tell you, when you start, it's, you feel daft and you feel vulnerable and you think you're making it up. But it's one of the gifts that God gives you for you to be whole, but needs vulnerability. I want to suggest that some of these things have already happened to you in your life already. I think, and I just jotted down half a dozen or so, someone's already come to you in your life and said something that's really significant and you weren't really sure who they were, but it just made an impact. I wonder whether God sent them. Some of you have those feelings of, I really feel, strongly feel that I should do this or do that. I wonder whether God's nudging you. Uh, some of you have had that sense of, I've had an idea and something amazing is born of it. Where did that come from? Was it God? Some of you do dream. I mean dream. And you wake up and, and, and some of them, they'd stay with you. And maybe God needs to knock you out to communicate with you because you're too busy elsewhere. <laughs> Some of you have had strange experiences that you can't explain, but you know 
deep down that God was involved. Some of you have bumped into people and completely out of the blue, they've spoken into your life. Someone, some of you have had that experience of listening to what has been said and suddenly it makes sense and it's like the clouds part. Some of you have started to speak in tongues and it feels like your heart's going to burst. Some of you have had that deep sense of the presence of God. Last thing. These experiences for Peter and Cornelius, they didn't make them into private mystics. It meant they got involved in the mission of God. Stuff that's exotic that makes you feel superior to everybody else is not from God. Stuff that's exotic that makes you go into the desert on your own and say, I don't need anybody else is not of God. The stuff that's of God pushes you back out into community and pushes you back out into the mission of God. You can't make any of this stuff happen. But you can have a posture that goes, I long for more. I long for more. Tuning into the unexpected. Visions and trances and angels and voices and tongues. And some days I'm left with the question, what sort of Christianity do I want? Do I want a very cool Christianity that's very rational, that everything's boxed in and I'm kind of really comfortable with? Or do I want the wild the wildness of God? Do I want the stuff that I'm not in control of? Do I want the stuff that makes me feel uneasy? Do I want the stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable? Do I want to be around people who make me feel uncomfortable? Or would I prefer to just settle for something a little bit more middle of the road, a little bit more English, a little safer, I suppose it's the question, how close do I want to get to the God of the Bible? And how much would I prefer to keep him at arm's length? Because I'm not really sure about the God of the Bible. I'd rather create a God in my own image. Well, you have to make your own answer to that question.